0: It just so happens, I am going to talk about faith. Faith uh, hit me kind of hard this week as I was spending the night in the hospital. I spent two or three nights up there, and it occurred to me that faith comes to us for different reasons, through different avenues. We all have a level of faith, and it is tested. And it's, it's a fact that you're going to be tested. Anybody in the Bible that has to deal with faith, that talks about faith, has to go through tests, has to have something that brings them to the level of faith that they have. The definition of faith in the dictionary, the first definition is complete trust or confidence in something or someone. Complete trust or confidence in something or someone. But it goes on with a second definition to get spiritual. Strong belief in God or doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Rather than proof. That's the second definition. I would submit that should be the first definition. But that's the second definition listed in the dictionary on what faith is. A strong belief in something you don't see. Something that perhaps you feel, something that you've learned, something you don't see. Well, it says rather than proof. What is proof? That's individualized. Something has to prove to you at some point in your life that God is real, that your faith is legitimate, that your faith is worthwhile. Are miracles the only proof of God's existence or Jesus being who he said he was? Is that the only thing that proves to you that God exists? You have to experience or witness a miracle, some big thing in your life that brings it? Does it take a miracle for people to come to Jesus? Did it take a miracle for you to accept God is who he is? God is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he was. Did it take something in your life, other than just grandma or grandma or mom or dad taking you to church, reading the Bible to you, it took something else or you wouldn't be here. It took something in your life, a personal experience. How many people accept Jesus only after seeing or benefiting from a miracle? Lots of them. Lots of people have to experience some kind of something that is a miracle in their life or some big event to develop the faith. Because you can sit, all these teenagers can sit up here and they can hear what we have to tell them. We can read the books to them. And they're going to just kind of be blase about it until something big happens in their life. And oftentimes it's at church camp, at Bible camp, where they get a real acceptance of Jesus. They really accept Him and they have that emotion swept upon them. Something else happens other than you and I telling them about Jesus. Some big event. How many people come to God only after suffering an illness or death or death of a loved one or perhaps... A child or a spouse is ill and you see them healed. You pray for them. How many people at that point realize this is real? A lot of people. Too many people. It takes something to show you that you're not just hearing a bunch of hooey when the preacher stands up here and talks to you, when the Sunday school teachers talk to you. Your faith has to be rooted in something that you see, heal, or, fee, or feel. Don't feel bad if it takes that big event in your life because that's the way most people are. That's just human nature. Show me. Don't tell me. Show me. Don't tell me about God. Show me. Let me see it. Let me feel it. In the book of Hebrews 11.1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, I say that the people that wrote the dictionary plagiarized that section of hebrews that's basically what the second definition of faith is in the dictionary about what we do not see somebody accepted that as the definition but they made it the second description the second definition of faith and that's where it came from i assure you faith came from god faith is a gent is a root- is rooted in god it's necessity comes from God. It's pretty much speculation about who wrote that. I mean, one of the apostles did, or all the apostles did, book of Hebrews. Uh, Paul probably, who knows? But they just know that it was apostles that were spreading the word to the Hebrews, and they gave that, dish in, that definition of faith. I think what brings the level in faith today after the years that I was a police officer A teacher, special education teacher. I worked in the Coast Guard where we did search and rescue. Uh, It seems that faith is almost always rooted in something big. I saw people on boats after being pulled from the ocean get religion. You see it. They realize all of a sudden God had their hand on them. Sailors think that there is a God. They need it, and they count on it. And when they are plucked from the sea by a search and rescue boat, Believe me, they got religion that night. And they don't forget it. They don't forget it. Police officers, you go up on an accident, car wreck, people are praying in the car. They're bleeding and praying. They're asking for something from God at that point. Perhaps they had a spiritual moment just before the accident, but it took something astronomical. Parents or grandparents take their kids to church and teach them about Jesus' faith overall. Christian doctrine is defined in the dictionary, Christian doctrine, faith in your belief in God, your belief in God, the disciples. Now, again, I said, don't feel guilty if your faith wavers sometimes, if your faith is questioned in you sometimes. Because I wanted to talk about what the disciples, the disciples should have been the people that had more unshe- unflappable faith than anybody. These guys are just out fishing, working on things in their, with their hands. They're, they're blue-collar people. And they hear about Jesus. They go see him and, hey, I'm following this guy. This guy makes sense. He's going to pick me. I want to have what this guy has. I understand what he has. So the disciples are here working, following Jesus, watching some pretty remarkable things. They... Watch him heal people in the name of God, heal the lame, raise the dead, feed people from almost nothing, from crumbs. They see it, they experience it. Later, they kind of do some of these things themselves in the name of God when they realize the power doesn't come from them, it comes from God. They see it, yet later, their faith is shaken. And here's this man they're following around the country, and he's warning them at some point, this isn't going to be good for you guys. You're going to be persecuted. I want you to follow me. I'm going to show you my father. I want you to experience my father. We're going to bring people to my father, but be ready. This isn't going to be good for you. He warns them. What happens? He gets arrested. He gets crucified. Where are the disciples at that point? They're not at the feet at the cross. They're standing back. They might be watching from somewhere else. We don't know. We just know later they're kind of hiding in a house and close the doors so they can't be seen who they are. They are worried at that point because they know the person they're following that they have faith in was just murdered, died. Yeah, he told them he was coming back. But that's kind of hard to believe when you see blood trickling down, you see death. All these miracles they saw, and at that point, they have a little question in their mind. Is this real? So how can you not be questioned in your faith? How can something in your life not shake you up and make you question your faith? How can a loved one in your family die, and you've asked God not to let it happen, and not be shaken in your faith? And you carry the guilt of that because later your faith gets restored. It can't happen. You're human. God knows you're human. Jesus told the disciples their faith was going to be questioned. He warned them. He told them it wasn't going to be easy. He told Peter, you're you're going to even act like you don't even know me. He knew Judas was going to betray him for money. He knows mankind. He knows people. He knows your faith is going to be shaken, going to be tested. He knows you're going to have a hard time sticking with him. He knows it, but he makes it okay. Now, what did he tell the disciples? I'll be back. You'll see. Just hang in there. Hang in there. They still hide. They still lay low. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be hung up on a cross. And so what happens? He comes back to life. They're not there. They don't roll the tomb. They don't, they're don't. they not hanging around the tomb. They're still laying low. But they get the word that he's there where they're supposed to meet him, and they go see him, and they still kind of don't believe it. No, you were dead. We saw you dead. We know it. We heard it. We saw you arrested. Touch me. Feel me. Listen to me. You'll know it's me. And they did. That's all it took. They never again in their life, as short as some of their lives were, doubted that Jesus was who he says he was, that doubted their father. And in fact, a lot of, uh, there was a detective that set out, and I, I mentioned this a little bit a few weeks ago, that set out to talk about the evidence of what the disciples saw. And there's these 12 guys, these, these 12 guys, and, and disciples and apostles. You know the difference in that? I had to study that. I've often wondered that, but a disciple was following Jesus around, learning from him. And then when he's gone and he learned, now they're apostles. They're going to go spread the word. That's why Paul wasn't with them in the beginning. Paul was an apostle. He was never a disciple. He wasn't one of the original 12. He came to Jesus. Well, Jesus brought him to him. Paul was actually not a Jew. He was the one person that you and I should consider to be very important because he made it okay for Gentiles, non-Jews, to be Christians, to follow Christ. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for them. Paul made that clear. He was a Roman. In fact, his original job was to persecute the disciples and to find them, bring them to justice for spreading this word about Jesus. That was Paul. Now, his name was Saul at that time. And Jesus heard about that. But Paul never met Jesus. He met some of the disciples. was very impressed with them. We got his strength in him. But Paul, when Jesus knew Paul was trying to persecute him, said, Well, I'm going to get your attention. Watch this. And so Paul goes blind for three days at Jesus' word. Now he said, Think about that. You got three days to think about it. I'm going to send somebody to talk to you about this, and then you're going to know I am who I say I am. I'm the only one. God is the only one that can restore your eyesight. And so he does. That's all Paul needed. Do you need that? Do you need somebody to strike you blind? Do you need that? No, we don't need that. We don't want that. It happens sometimes. Miracles happen medically in a hospital all the time. I talked to some doctors about this week. But Paul became an apostle, spread the word of Jesus, and did just what the disciples did because he experienced the miracles of Christ, the miracles of God through Christ. They gave their life unflappable, never refuted, that Jesus he was who the Savior was, it saw he rose from the dead, never doubted it again. And in fact, uh, Peter, the fisherman, was crucified, also gave his life. Never, and you know all these guys were put in jail, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were ridiculed. Every one of them had to go through an extreme test of faith, hiding right after Jesus was crucified, and then when they saw him, that was it. That was the final thing. Just like you're going to have something at some point in your life that you will not doubt Your faith will not be shaken. But Peter gave his life, crucified. Andrew, crucified. James, killed ten years after the first martyr, Stephen, was killed. John, the only apostle who really didn't meet a martyr's death. He got to be pretty old. He helped us with the book of Revelations. Uh, Philip, crucified. Bartholomew, crucified. Thomas, thrust through a spear, a spear driven into him. Uh, he was he was preaching in uh, India and different parts of the world. He went a long way with the Word of God. In fact, there's still a church. The Mar Thomas Church is named after Thomas um, in India. Matthew killed with a sword about 60 years after Jesus died. He preached the gospel, and he was in Ethiopia. These guys went everywhere with their word. James, stoned by Jews at the age of 90 years old, stoned, 90 years old, and then had his brains bashed out with a club. Stood there the whole time, never refuted Jesus. They gave him chances, you know they did. They do that in torture, in prison, prisoner war camps. Just tell us that it's a lie and we'll let you live. They stood there and died for the man that died for us. Jude, crucified. Simon, martyred, crucified in Britain. He went to Britain. The Brits ought to be thanking him, hadn't they? He was in Britain when he was crucified. Judas, we know what happened to him. He couldn't stand it that he betrayed the man that later died for all of us. Now, you don't have to do that for your faith to be assured. All you have to do is look and see what's real in the world. It doesn't take a miracle. Every one of these guys were imprisoned, beaten, tortured, and they didn't do it. If you could see a man return to life... After dying, would that prove to you your faith is legitimate? That still happens. People come back from the dead all the time. Ambulance, drivers, policemen, they'll tell you. Doctors will tell you. It makes no sense that this guy came back to life. It happens. Is it in the name of God sometimes? I believe it is. It's whatever you believe that counts. If you could see a terminally ill patient person healed with their disease, would that convince your faith? It happens all the time. It happens at every hospital in this country. Every doctor would tell you it's unexplainable. My, my dad's one of them. Six months ago, he had four weeks to live. He's still here. Now, I think he's here for a reason because nobody goes into his house that they don't hear about Jesus Christ. I've had his hospice nurses tell me. I stood there with him in the hospital, sitting there, and every doctor, orderly aide, somebody come in to clean the floor, they had to put up with the word of Jesus And every one of them stood there and listened to it and prayed with him when he left. Infinity Care is the hospice company that serves my dad. They got a new preacher. They got preachers there that come out to your house. Infinity Care had a new preacher come visit him the first night he was in the hospital. And he said, I'm supposed to meet you. All the people have told me at Infinity Care about you, and I want you to pray for me. My dad said, you're here to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And so dad sat there with the preacher from infinity care and they prayed and they sobbed and cried and he went straight back to infinity care, turned on the PA system and shared the prayer that dad gave for him. He said, this man has a purpose. That's why he's still here. When he goes, St. Peter's going to meet him and say, good job, I gave you six more months and you did what you were supposed to do. If an angel sat on your bed at night... Or in a hospital room and said, I'm gonna heal you, I'm gonna protect you, or your child that's sick in this hospital room will be okay. And then the next day that child was okay. Would that convince you? I Googled angels and sightings, and there are countless stories across this country forever about children that saw angels, that talked to them in hospitals, and they turned out okay. There are angels. If you believe in Satan, you gotta believe in angels. I believe that angels still walk this earth and select who needs them. The fact is, people get to see miracles all the time. Now, what is a miracle? It's up to you what a miracle is. You decide what truly is a miracle. Doubters will say, that's not a miracle. There was some medical reason. I don't know what it is, why this cancer went away in this person. And you read it all the time. And there are people that clearly are cleared from cancer. Start Googling modern-day miracles and see how many stories. I had them printed and there was too much paper. And I couldn't bring them all up here. I want you to look at them and see them. The disciples saw God's best work. They knew what they were. What's a miracle to you? I'll tell you one thing that's a miracle to me. And I touched on this a little bit. The human brain is a miracle. The human brain is a miracle. Why it works, nobody knows. How 100 billion cells can tell you to look and listen to me and process what I'm saying makes no sense to any doctor. They just know it works. How your eyes can send an image to your brain, and your brain can say, run from that, it's a fire, call the police, go over there and hug my grandchild. Whatever you're looking at, and your brain processes that information and gives your body a command, it is un- impossible for science to explain how that works. Why you sleep, we don't know. They'll just tell you, you do sleep. Your brain shuts down. No, it's still going, but you're sleeping. Why does that work? We don't know. The human brain it, in your body gets experiences emotion, hatred, anger, sadness, laughter. There is no scientific explanation for why you laugh. People laugh at different things. There is none. And then love. Why do you love somebody? How can you love somebody? It happens in your brain. All they know is when you love somebody and experience it, your your brain produces a new chemical that makes you feel good. It's almost like a drug. Your brain sees somebody that you love, and there's no explanation for it. But then I say, well, maybe there isn't. The Bible describes love in the beginning. God invented love. God said you will love. You need to love me. I love you. That's all the definition you need. That's all the scientific explanation you need. There is no other provable reason why the brain, why your human body experiences love. I have every emotion in my life that you could have. I've been angry. I'm married, so you know I get angry. I experience love. My wife loves me all the time. I get to see that. I love her. I love everybody here. I love seeing you here. It made me a little nervous because the pastor said, okay, I want you preaching next Sunday. I won't be there. Well, I'm thinking, oh, the rapture day. He's gone. I'm not. He wants me to stay here and talk to you people. (laughs) He knew I was going to be here and he's not going to be. But then when Geneva walked in, I felt, okay, well, I know she would have been there. So I'm okay. Rodney's here. We're good. So it was a hoax. But it, 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 after the rest of Jesus, for the falter of their doubt to fail, you got to know you're going to falter, that your faith is going to be in question. you got to know that it's natural and normal, and don't get hung up on it. Just keep going to the throne just have the faith in god that he has in you have the faith in god he has faith in you the proof of that is he tells you he promises you that all of these situations where your faith is in question you're going to be okay i know you're going to be questioned faith is a two-way street you can read scripture after scripture particularly in the book of Isaiah, particularly in Proverbs, particularly in Psalms, where God is faithful to you if you are faithful to him. What's that faith for you? That you can go to heaven, that you can live forever in paradise, that your prayers will be answered. Do you have to go through that prayer over and over? Yes. Is it going to happen immediately, first request? Sometimes. But you have to attest to your faith. The Bible is full of people, full of people that questioned their faith and they stuck it out. Book of Hebrews, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice one of his own sons. By faith, by faith, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. It was still down the road. He didn't know about it. He just believed it. By faith, he knew it was going to happen. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He lived a happy life. Son of the Pharaoh's daughter. All right, man, I get, a, I get the best chariot. I mean, these kids now that are born with silver spoons in their mouth, I'm getting a Hummer. I'm getting a Corvette. Moses would have had the best chariot. He'd have probably had four horses on his chariot. No, I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He wasn't afraid of him. He preserved because he saw who was invisible. He knew God. He could feel it. He had faith in it. It was real. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, talk about that one. Okay, we're on a hike. we got to get across the lake. There's some people coming to get us, some bad guys, All right, People that are going to steal our backpacks or whatever. The waters part, and God says, go right through there. They can't get through there. you going to do that? You're going to walk between walls of water. There's probably whales splashing on the side, and the sharks looking out, waiting on you. You're going to walk through there? It takes a little bit of faith to believe, first, that the waters could part, and second, that you could walk through there and unharmed. But they did it. By faith, people conquered kingdoms and administered justice by faith in God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, Hebrews 11:6. By faith, it is impossible to... Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, look what he did. By faith, because you know testing your faith produces perseverance. Faith. God promises no temptations. Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that you can bear but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. Okay, let's talk about what a temptation is. A temptation is to let your faith falter. A temptation is not to believe. Not just temptations about stealing or drinking or cigarettes or, you know, temptations that are of sin, but a temptation to let your faith falter. He promises you that you can make it. However you're tested, he's faithful to you. You can make it. You're supposed to thank God when you're tested how bad it is, a death in the family, an illness. Thank you, God, because you have faith in me that I can get through this. You've told me I can get through this. You've got to believe that one. That's a tough one to believe. No matter what your test is, your illness, the death in your family, the loss of your job, you have to believe you can get through it. That's your sign of faith to God. And you've got to thank God for that affirmity you got to show him. You believe it. Now, that's hard to do. You lose your job and your car payments due and your house payments due, and you're going to thank God for that? That is a test. Your loved one is in the hospital or passed away, and you're going to thank God for that? That's passing the test. I heard my father. Now, he had prompting for me for months before he saw it that way. I'm not the one with cancer. I don't question it. But I said, thank you god dad thank god for this cancer you would not have gotten to heaven without this cancer i thank god for it because it opened my eyes to some things it made me study a few more things thank god for your cancer because it's just a short time that you're here suffering it won't be long you'll be in heaven driving that 59 cadillac you always wanted a 59 cadillac i told him i'm pretty sure that there's 59 cadillacs in heaven when you look at a 59 Cadillac with the big fins on it, you've got to believe God was an artist. That's a beautiful car. That's all he wants. I wish I knew somebody that had one. We'd bury him in it. Of course, they're about $175,000. I'd probably dig it up after he's gone. But <laughs> thank God for everything in your life that goes wrong. Because it says in Corinthians, God is faithful to you and he promises you, you're going to be okay through it. So thank him for it. Thank him that your bank account's empty. Thank him. And it'll work. You've got to believe it. That's maybe the ultimate test of your faith. So all these things by faith, Hebrews, we thank God. By faith, by faith, I thank God that my dad has cancer. By faith, you thank God that your boss doesn't like you much, may fire you. By faith, thank God that your checking account is empty. By faith, thank God that your car is sitting in the driveway and needs $800 worth of work to it, and you don't know how that's going to happen. You could apply that to the Old Testament by faith. You've got to demonstrate the faith. The disciples tested and tested over and over again, and ultimately... No matter what they saw in Jesus Christ, they had a doubt. But one more big event brought them to us. How about walking on water? Why would that not totally convince at least one of the disciples who was sitting there going, look, he's coming. We all go to Branson right on a church retreat. The pastor's up there buying a snow cone and a Coney, and he misses the duck that's taking us out on the lake. He says, I'll catch up to you. And we're sitting in the duck, and here he comes walking across the water. Here I am. Basically what God did, or Jesus, he sent him on and said, I'll I'll catch up to you. And then he walks out to the boat. Do you think you would ever doubt the pastor again? He's a truly man of God. He walked through water. No, I wouldn't. But they did, didn't they? That, That wasn't enough. They still saw him killed. Their faith was questioned. They held out to the end. And that last time, that's all it took. What's it take for you to go to your grave, to give it all up for Jesus? It's going to take something. More than this church? Maybe. More than your mother or grandfather or whoever brought you to Jesus? Maybe. It's going to take something. Is it going to take your acceptance of the science in the creation? Are you, are you able to think through that and then all of a sudden apply some of the things that you know to be a bunch of garbage about evolution? Maybe. Maybe. This is something that we all think about it's a something that we all wonder about, and it's perfectly normal. So when your faith is questioned, something bad happens in your family, your, your, your wife's mad at you, your husband's being mean to you, just go pray about it, thank God, because you must be able to get through it. You've, prom- you've been promised that. It is hard to do, and you don't have to get through it on the first day or the second day. Just pray about it. The Lord will be faithful to you. It says it over and over if you are faithful to him. And his his faithfulness to you is the promise. You're going to get through it, and you can be sitting by my side. You'll have no illnesses. You'll have no monetary problems. Everybody in your life that passed away, if they stood with me, they'll be right there. You get to drive through town in a 59 Cadillac with your brothers who passed away before you. If they're there, you're supposed to help them get there. There's people in your family that aren't ready. You're supposed to talk to them about it. Because the Bible also says, without works, without positive deeds, what good is faith? It's worthless. It says it. You're supposed to spread my word. You don't just get to sit on it. I'm getting to heaven. You got to take people with you. That's a requirement. It's a requirement. I don't care if it's your neighbor, that boss that doesn't like you, the paper boy. You're supposed to tell somebody. The nurses that walk in your room and clean up your bed because you no longer have the ability to take care of yourself. You're supposed to spread the word. You're supposed to do it. And you can. It's in the book. It's a promise. You can do it. Have faith in that. And God will show his faith in you and you'll be sitting at his side. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you today. We understand that you know we're just people, that we have weaknesses, we have illnesses. We don't always think about you as much as we should and demonstrate our faith in you, but we want to, we need to. We understand, Lord, that your love for us is faithful, and all we've got to do is our share. We also have to stay faithful or get back to being faithful if we slip because we're human. And we love you in your heavenly name. Amen.